0: Join me as we accelerate the transition to cleaner, safer and smarter vehicles and grow the industry around the world. Welcome to the show, Boaz. Great to have you with us.
1: Thank you very much for this opportunity. I'm very pleased to be here and talk about what we do in tech mobility.
0: Great. So maybe um, if we could just start out um, with, you know, sort of understanding your background, you know where where you're from, and uh, how you came to be doing what you're doing now.
1: Great. so so I'm uh, a technical guy uh, by essence. This is my soul. Try to solve uh, complex uh, things, uh, system wise, uh, and uh, entrepreneur. I mean, I try to start new things and uh, and uh, convince people to come with me. That's what what I do for a living for for the past. Uh, 50 years or more that I'm, uh, I'm living. Uh, I've uh, graduated electrical engineering, uh, actually uh, computer engineering, in the Technion in Haifa, in Israel, uh, a couple of decades ago. And then uh, um, co-founded a company named Charlotte's Web Networks, uh, designing uh, uh, terabit routers, like the, the big ones uh, back then. And after uh, several years and uh, some uh, success, uh, I left the company uh, and worked with uh, Zoran, Zoran Microelectronics, where I uh, led the system team here. Uh, they're uh, designing um, a set of boxes, uh, chips, and uh, the A6, main ASICs, 6 for television and, uh, and other uh, home entertainment equipment. And uh, ten years ago, I again uh, uh, decided to leave, uh, uh, you know, the comfort zone <laughs> and start, start a new company. Uh, you know, these are the bugs that I already have in my, in my mind. So, uh, eleven years ago, I started the Tactile uh, Mobility uh, here in Haifa, and uh, this is where uh, I come from. Married, three kids. Uh,
0: that's it. Happy life. Thanks, God. <laughs> <laughs> and just on, uh, you know, maybe a, a quick word on what, you know, what got you um, started in engineering in the first place? What was the attraction um, back then? And I know I often say to people, um, you know, we, we we're kind of similar age and it, science and engineering are much more popular now than, the, than they used to be. And particularly electronics and, uh, and software and things, you know, back then. What sort of got, got you excited about that field?
1: Well, uh, from the moment I I remember myself, I was always uh, fascinated about technology. We are talking about uh, the early 70s. So the first uh, radio I got in my hand, I uh, disassembled it. Uh, The first computer that was uh, issued to the market, if I'm not uh, mistaking, it was uh, ZX80 by a Sinclair company hmm. so it was uh, uh, 1980. So I got the first computer. My, my, my father uh, bought it for me. So I, I started learning myself uh, um, software development. It was a basic code and some assembly code. Yeah. And uh, I would th- that was my hobby for, for years. So I, I always did hardware and software and some mechanics and all the combinations between. So anything about it uh self-educated I think at first until uh, you know I, I have uh, uh, graduated or, or completed my military service uh, compulsory service in Israel and after that I uh, went uh, to the academy uh, to the Technion, this is like the Israeli MIT yeah. uh, uh, where I graduated and learned my hobby that was my hobby so 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 far, Thanks God, my hobby, my profession, and uh, my uh, making money comes from all the same thing. <laughs> and, and, and I really say that I each day that uh, you know I, I come to the office, I come to my work, I decide what I want to do and what I don't want to do, and uh, and I, I manage to sell it, uh, you know, to customers, to to uh, to, to investors. Uh, to people with money, with with their abilities and convince them to to follow me, to follow my steps, and then try to change the world. I mean, it, it sounds uh, a little bit uh, peculiar, but uh, it, it is like this. I will give you a few examples uh, later on
0: great. no that's um that's really interesting and 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 great that you're so you're sort of um what what I would describe almost as an organic um engineer It's just in your bones, in your blood and uh, it kind of uh, got, got you going. It's fa- fa- fantastic. So moving into then um, the business, I mean, the first thing that caught my attention, to be honest, uh, was the name, you know, Tactile Mobility. And I was kind of thinking, what can that mean? You know, really interesting. And then kind of looking at um, some of the information um, that you, your team provided um, before this Recording, it, you know, it was, it was really, really uh, fascinating in terms of reading about what you do. But could, could you explain to, to us the, the company? You, you mentioned you started 11, was that 10 or 11 years ago?
1: 11 years ago, yes.
0: 11, okay. So how did that come about? How did, why did you start the business and, and what is it that you do?
1: First of all, I, I don't understand the vehicles. So I didn't understand the vehicles until I started the company. And even now, there are basic uh, things that I don't uh, know because I'm not, it's not my hobby. I mean, because it's uh, not my hobby. It's a profession today. It's my uh, making uh, money out of that, but it's not, it wasn't my hobby. So there were funny examples, like the first time I, I, I visited uh, a Porsche company. And, uh, you know, the engineers they provided me the, the first uh, uh, Porsche 911 to install with the, our aftermarket device. When they open the hood, like the first thing I ask is, where's is the engine? Okay, so I, I <laughs> okay. Even know that the engine is, is from the back. So so this is my background, because I started with the design of communication systems, uh, routers, and the stuff like this, algorithms, uh, n- nothing has to do with mechanics or, or chassis handling or vehicle handling. Uh, I, I, I even uh, don't own any fancy car. I have my uh, uh, old Mazda, which I like very much. Uh, I got it from my previous uh, company as a list car and it stayed <laughs> with me. And then and, and today even my, my rule of thumb is that everything I design must comply with my old Mazda. So I don't I don't design fancy things for fancy cars, I design fancy things for old cars. So I want, I want to aim for the plain vanilla of the world, to be in mass vehicles, not high-end sophisticated vehicles with special outdoor sensors inside. This is very important. So it all started when somebody came to me and gave me like a puzzle, a riddle. Okay, he said, I want to deliver a vehicle from point A to point B with minimal fuel consumption. Can you help me do it? I said, for sure. Let's analyze what is the performance of a vehicle in terms of fuel consumption per configuration, per gear position, per load, etc. And let's analyze uh, what is uh, the surface condition, like road grade, inclination, banking, uh, curvature, etc. And then combine the two to provide the best profile of driving to allow the vehicle to reach its target with minimal fuel consumption. So I started working on this uh, uh, like a part-time job because it puzzled me. And uh, when when I started working with it, I realized that the the fundamental information is not there about the surface. You cannot retrieve a a precise map of all grades today. Okay. So even if you look at Google Maps or stuff like this, it's like smoothing the surface. Okay. It's not the texture. It's just the surface uh this is on one hand and on the other hand the vehicle themselves nobody can tell you what is the exact uh, 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 fuel consumption rate per moment per, per second there are gauges there are ways to measure it but it's off like 30 percent yeah so if i want if i want to uh, to save five percent of fuel consumption and the noise flow of, of my system is 30 uh, percent then how can i do it so, the project turned into building the building blocks. So, let's first uh, measure the exact uh, uh, performance of the vehicle in terms of uh, fuel consumptions. What is my momentarily fuel consumptions? Okay, 100 times a second. So, uh, this is the first, uh, actually, the first virtual sensor that I've designed. Okay, a virtual sensor, it's a software generating information very rapidly in a computer, in the vehicle, or an aftermarket device attached to the vehicle, that is collecting the already existing noisy sensors that you have in the vehicle, the physical sensors, combining them together, fusing them together, and then out of that, generating information that is missing to there in this case, is the exact fuel consumption momentarily. Okay? So that was the first virtual sensor. And on the other hand, for the surface itself, since nobody has the map of the road grades, the precise old grades in each meter of the road, then I needed to generate it myself. So I had my vehicle driving around, collecting information out of that, generating the information about the road. So as it developed along the time, the company, is designing today these two types of information one we call surface dna okay this is the information that has to do with how the surface looks and feels and the other one is the vehicle dna vehicle dna is the uh, the ability or the representation of the vehicle it's also called in the industry as the digital twin of the chassis or the vehicle so how to represent the vehicle in sets of coefficients of lookup tables of formulas whatever that out of that i can derive very precise information about my vehicle for example momentary fuel consumption okay or my weight okay that my, my vehicle weight now or my tire status what is the stiffness of my tires what is the tread of my tires etc So these are all coefficients and and, and numbers and values that you need to crunch and to represent the status of your vehicle, the vehicle DNA or digital twin of your vehicle. So actually, what Tactile Mobility is, is doing today, at the end of the day, is providing a software. First of all, we are a software company, pure software, no hardware. We are using the existing hardware and preferably the low-cost hardware in the plain vanilla vehicles, so to be uh, able to do with the mass, not with sophisticated vehicle. So in these cases, we provide the software for the ECU, one of the ECU, okay, engine comp- uh, uh, units in the vehicle, and this ECU having our software is collecting existing sensor information from the vehicle, for example, wheel speed, torques, accelerations of different types, even GPS location, okay? And then crunch it, fuse it in real time, and then out of that, derive close to real time, new information about the vehicle. And the information are of two types, information about the surface that we're driving on now, or about my state of my vehicle, my digital twin right now, about all these parameters. Those, uh, info, this information is represented as what we call virtual sensors. Is You don't have a weight sensor in the vehicle because it's too expensive or, or, or not very, very accurate or something like this. But if you will have the tactile software inside, you will have a virtual sensor that will provide you the weight of your vehicle, estimation of your vehicle, uh, weight uh, along uh, the drive. So, so, those virtual sensors are being sent back to the CAN bus, FlexRay, whatever, so all the, uh, the other customer functions in the vehicle can use it for preconditioning of the chassis or for doing whatever you want with this information. In parallel to that, we expect the gateway in the vehicle, it's a connected vehicle, so to transmit this information back to the cloud where we are collecting those outcomes, okay, those outcomes of the virtual sensors in order to generate maps of two types, surface DNA maps and vehicle DNA maps, okay? Surface DNA maps, for example, has layers like the grip estimation, friction estimation of the road, the distresses, potholes, holes, bumps, etc., uh, and uh, road grades, inclination, anything that has to do with the tactile sensing of the road, and I will come to the word the tactile in a moment. Okay, so those maps that we have on the cloud side are refreshed map, okay, very close to real time from millions of vehicles driving around, that can be monetized or can be used, utilized, okay, close to real time or periodic. Those two real times you can provide it back to the vehicles as the horizon prediction ahead of them. So you will know, your car will know what's ahead of you in the next mile, like what will be the friction of the road there, what will be the distress situation, etc. Okay, the, 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 the surface DNA of, of the next mile. And in parallel to that, we are monetizing this information for other segments like road authorities and municipalities, winter maintenance of roads. And other types of stuff like this, like uh, uh, um, for example, insurance companies and anyone that needs this information. As for the vehicle DNA, uh, this piece of information is very crucial for a vehicle uh, health predicting, maintenance precondition. For example, if you know your tread depths, okay, you know where when you need to replace the tire, or you know that you are uh, you have a worn out tire. you you know how to precondition your your vehicle accordingly. For example, if you have an adaptive cruise control, maybe in such a situation of a worn tire, you would like to keep a larger distance with the vehicle in front of you just for the safety. Okay, so those virtual sensors about the vehicle DNA can help you uh, improve the ADAS and improve uh, uh, safety and efficiency of your uh, vehicle for, for performance and for safety. So in an essence, to make a long story short, actor Mobility is all about a software, a very sophisticated software, that sits on the vehicle side, on the ECU, and is located on the cloud side, and both are generating meaningful information about the surface and about the vehicle. So,
0: so many questions, so many questions. So, <laughs> on the and uh, I, you know, in in the past, I've been involved in uh, some projects doing things with data collection and, and such like on vehicles. And and you mentioned um, you mentioned a couple of things there actually that I, I know from experience are really really hard. Um, and and I'm just wondering, you know, is it is it because you're using a sort of fusion of different data streams, or but like for example, predicting the weight of the vehicle. I mean, that that is a really tangible, useful thing that. You know, commercial vehicle operators, for example, you know, if if they didn't have to, quite often they either have an expensive sensing system or they they don't have anything at all. And predicting the weight of a commercial vehicle would be really, really useful. You know, people would pay pay money for that. But it's it's actually super hard to do that um, just using the data that you get from the vehicle. You you sort of, in theory, you can say, well, I can th- I can imagine how I could do that by. I go predicted rate of acceleration, you know, and if I know that it, if I give it, apply this much throttle, it should do this, but it does that instead. I, you know, but there's so many variables that kind of have an impact on it, like the gradient, like uh, you know, wind speed, like all all sorts of things. It makes it really hard. Uh, how are you getting around that? Those kind of things, you know how how can you get to a good, uh, you know, sort of reliable outputs for these things?
1: This is a few tens of millions of dollars for question. <laughs> the amount of, of money we raised so far. So so actually, this is the uh, kind of questions I'm used to get from the experts in the OEMs that I'm working with. I'm I'm sitting in in, in a Porsche 911 or a BMW 7 Series with the expert of BMW or Porsche or Ford or whatever. Okay. We drive the same test car. We have our screen with aftermarket device that installed there. And it shows them the, the precise weight of the vehicle or, or the friction coefficient with the road now. Okay, just by cruising on top of that. And they ask me these questions. How do you do it? <laughs> we see we see the same signals that you do. Okay? We're connected to the same Chassis Canvas. We're collecting the same noisy signals. And indeed you are right it's all contributing to, we call it noise, okay? It's a noise if you don't know what it's, it's doing, okay? But it's not noise, it's an information. If you can correlate it with coefficients or stuff like this, so you get information out of that. So this is what tactile mobility is all about, is to take the existing noisy uh, low-cost sensors in the vehicles and try to extract the behavior of the vehicle, the coefficients of the vehicle, and correlate them with each other, and generate this information out of that, and everything is edge-computed. In order to do it, we are utilizing signal processing, as normally done in the industry. We are utilizing physical modeling, same, always used in the industry. Uh, However, in order to solve those mysterious uh, second and third third order of physics, of, of those coefficients there, okay, what is my current uh, 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 I don't know uh, wind drag coefficient? Okay. What is my current wind drag coefficient? What is uh, my my current rolling uh, resistance uh, status? Okay. So in order to solve those missing coefficients, we run machine learning, okay, inside internally in the ECU in real time to help us solve those equations and then get to those coefficients. If those coefficients are uh, close to steady states, like a uh, quasi-static coefficients, I don't know, like a uh, rolling resistance, maybe this is something that is changing a little bit slower than maybe a wind rug, you know, you open the windows, close them, etc. So we save them uh, in the non-volatile memory in the vehicle and uh, fine tune them a long time, right? And then at the end of the day, once the machine learning is outputting estimation, you need to filter that out in a way in a sophisticated, filtering and non-realistic results, okay? Or and non-realistic is not just a, you know a outliers of minimum and maximum, but very, very sophisticated situations. So having a machine learning working at the 70% of the cases or 80% of the cases is something very nice, but nobody will use it in the vehicle, okay? Even if it's only 99% of the time. You are driving a vehicle, you want to know that you are safe, that you can do th- and you have a precise information. So, so the ability, I mean, the, the, the big secret source here or the, the very good engineering, as I call it, is to be able to take those results of machine learning results, following the physical modeling and the, uh, and the signal processing and to extract out of it only those results that make sense and that you can guarantee and, and provide it outside. So the entire uh, uh, pipeline chain let's call it let's call it okay that that, that, that we have in, in real time in the ICU, this is uh, what enables us to do what we just asked like how we can uh, know all the contributions of all you know the factors there in order to to, to reduce the signal to noise ratio and extract uh, the data out of that
0: I mean that's a that's a massive achievement. it um, does it take a long time. To profile that, you know, if, if you are doing, let's say you installed your system on a, on a new vehicle that you hadn't seen before, does it require a certain amount of time to kind of learn, um, learn the vehicle or how quickly are you able to generate that, um, those DNA models?
1: The first type is the general uh, or generalized vehicle DNA model that stands for a specific series of vehicles. Okay, maybe a BMW 3 Series. Okay, or maybe a vehicle that is, uh, I, um, I don't know, uh, hybrid vehicle, for example, electric vehicle, etc. So, so for those types of vehicles, we have a generalized way of representing them, uh, like the digital twin of the vehicle. And then on top of that, there is a part that we override with edge. A, a computed uh, information which we call my vehicle DNA. Okay, so the my vehicle DNA is part of the vehicle DNA that my specific car will actually uh, um, calculate while driving, fine tune those parameters and override the existing generalized parameters of the vehicle DNA. For example, tread depths. Okay, so if you have tire parameters that, so you can think of that the the, a new vehicle that will roll out of the production line will hold uh, the uh, baseline, let's call it, or the uh, super duper uh, perfect uh, tires uh, parameters. Okay, and now when you roll out of the production line, the edge computer software and the ECU will assess the current state of your tires, extract the parameters out of those calculations, and save it locally on the my vehicle DNA parameters. And from this point on, we'll use that. Some of the parameters need a few meters to calibrate. That's it. So once you start off ignition, a key cycle, start driving, it will take us like a few seconds and then we know we are on track. So everything is okay. We are calibrated, validated. We can start our estimation. Some will take a few tens of kilometers. So if you replace your tires with new tires, of course, we automatically identify it, that there is a new tire now that we didn't know before. So in this case, uh, from scratch, it will take us maybe ten kilometers uh, uh, of driving, normal, you no know, driver driving, in order to assess the new parameters. And and until then, we refrain from estimating some of the estimations.
0: It's um a quite a rapid process. The the the, the surface um, DNA models of the road. Obviously, that is going to be dependent by its very nature in terms of what you're actually driving on from from a road point of view, does it make a difference um that kind of interaction between the vehicle model and the surface model i i kind of I can imagine it's a bit of a chicken and egg uh,
1: yeah that's the main uh, issue here is that it's like a chicken and egg because you feel the surface uh, filter let's call it with with, with your vehicle DNA. And, and, and vice versa. So so the chicken and egg need to be separated. Okay. So what are the, the factors that the surface contributes? What are the factors that my suspension, for example, contributes, or, or my tires, etc. So this is what tactile mobility is all about. We call that normalizing. So when 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 we are talking about surface DNA, the data on the clouds should be normalized. Normalized meaning meaning that you need to have a language describing the surface DNA in a way that every vehicle can utilize it. Now, this is one of the first things we did, the tactile mobility, is defining this tactile language. When, uh, the, think of the first guy that invented the, the digital video, I don't know, like 40, 50, 60 years ago. So he invented like letters, of the language, which are the pixels. So, a pixel is it's a letter of the language, the visual language. Out of a few pixels, you have a macro block or something, then maybe this is a word. Okay, and maybe a frame is a sentence. Okay, and then now we have a few frames, we have like a movie, it's, it's like a, a, a story. Okay, so this is a story telling using the, the visual language of the word. Now that we have a language, I can exchange this information with you. Because the the fact that we both can see each other now is because we have a language to describe what we see and to transmit it to each other, transmit those pixels. Okay, so you can see me and I can see you. Okay, now, now for tactile language, this is something totally different. Imagine a, a blind person sitting near the driver, feeling something with the vehicle, let's say he's Connect, connected in some way to all the sensors of the vehicle. this is a blind person, and he needs to uh, to represent it, to represent what he sees to, to his friend, okay, that they're sitting in a different car, another blind person, uh, what to expect uh, in the next uh, mile or so. When you see a bump, for example, speed bump, you can define it as a 3D bump, right? But how, But how do you define it when you feel it? So This is what tactile mobility is all about. We have developed a tactile language that consists of small letters, tactile letters. Each letter stands for a small physical phenomenon on the surface that you feel, that if you combine those letters, you can now represent the essence of the surface. For example, a bump is a combination of few letters. I encounter the bump, okay, start ramping on, maybe I skid a little bit on the top and then I ramp down, okay, maybe there is a small potholes right after that. So I will have a few physical letters or tactile letters that will describe this precise uh, uh, speed bump and they will identify it or distinguish it from another speed bump, okay? So this is a tactile representation of the surface DNA. Now, This tactile representation of the surface DNA goes through normalization process. We normalize it with the parameters of the chassis, with the digital twin, okay, or the vehicle DNA, and then we get a nominal representation of the surface DNA using our tactile language. Now, this is a unified map for the entire world, and we don't care if there is a truck that, uh, you know, actually mapped it, or a light vehicle, or, you know, a vehicle, fact, okay? And then this uh, a representation is now transmitted back to the vehicles, and then they go through a denormalization process so to understand what this bump will do to my car when I will drive on top of that. It's
0: something like mapping a bump in the road with a standard sensor set on a vehicle or an ECU. I mean, I can imagine... You're going to need to know, it, it's this sort of, the vehicle DNA needs to be reasonably clear so that you know what the response should be, and then you can read the response, you know, with the acceleration change in the vehicle or what have you uh, when, it hits, when it hits the bump. But then, do you need then to start with um, a basic surface DNA in order to then map the vehicle DNA to then go back and start to map more complex surface DNAs that you haven't encountered before? Or are you able to do it sort of in parallel?
1: It's it's actually a, a mix of both. The first thing we start with when we are generating the vehicle DNA, okay, like for the family of the vehicles, is that we go through a calibration process. This is the same exact process that every Tier 1 or, or, or OEM or Tier 2 goes through with new vehicles in pre-production phases. When they calibrate their the machines, so let's say uh, Conti or Bosch, they have their own uh, uh, ABS or ESP uh, system. They sell to the, to the OEM, right? Now you need to calibrate it. So even though that uh, this uh, model is being working for, I don't know, uh, millions of kilometers already, but this is a new vehicle we need to calibrate it for, and it takes some months. Normally it takes some months, few months, in order to calibrate uh, this already working component in a new vehicle. Same for tactile mobility. We take our software, this is a software, okay, this is not hardware, but we take the software, we plug it into the ECU, reproduction-wise, and then we take a couple of test vehicles, and now, we are defining uh, what we call a uh, test maneuvers or calibration maneuvers so those calibration maneuvers are actually defining the basics of these of the basics of the tactile language for this specific type of vehicles okay so this is what we start with second when this uh, software is installed uh, already in those vehicles and it goes out of production line, or if earlier if we have larger test fleet of uh, hundreds of vehicles then we are fine-tuning okay, those uh, uh, tactile representation of how, how this vehicle fills the world according to the uh, performance of those hundreds or thousands of uh, vehicles okay so we have sophisticated the mechanisms on the cloud side for tactile mobility where we collect all these recordings from those vehicles and then crunching it continuously, generating those maps, and one vehicle helps the other vehicle to identify what they see there. Okay, so if I have a better vehicle that is now more calibrated, and I go through one bump, and then I go another vehicle there that is not calibrated, so I can, so this is the chicken and the egg, okay? So I take the chicken from one car, and then this is the egg for the another car.
0: And and the ability to sort of share that data in the back end. I, I mean, I can... You can sort of start to piece together lots of different potential, you know, app applications or reasons why people would pay money to have this <laughs> data. And I know in your information pack, you've got some, some things about the types of companies that you work with, but maybe if, if we could just, you know, talk, talk a bit about that in terms of who, who your customers are and uh, how people are realizing the benefits of this in practice.
1: So uh, we have two types of uh, customers, okay? One type of customers are OEMs or T1 selling to OEMs. Uh, well, they uh, have the tactile software inside their ECU, one of the ECUs in the vehicle. Uh, and then uh, the customer, which is the OEM, enjoys uh, this software by, normally by preconditioning the vehicle or the chassis, with information they get from tactile mobility. So so now that they have tactile inside, it's like you have installed more sensors into the vehicle, okay, software-wise, and then you have new information that you can utilize to better perform the vehicle for safety or for uh, performance, okay, so for example, like I gave you, if I can now have a sensor in the vehicle detecting the friction coefficient between my tires and my surface now, okay, Maybe I can uh, uh, precondition the uh, uh, adaptive cruise control distance. If this is a low mu situation and icy conditions, then I will keep maybe three seconds. Okay, with the car in front of me. If this is high mu situation, then maybe I'll keep one second. Otherwise, you know, a lot of cars will uh, take over, and I will start driving backwards. Okay, so uh, so, so um, this is one example. So you can precondition suspension if the road is bumpy or not. You can precondition uh, a suspension even uh, with with my tire status. Okay, if I, you can precondition your ABS uh, to better uh, detecting the slip uh, ratio of the vehicle uh, uh, for uh, um, for the best uh, operating condition of of braking. So so you can do a lot of stuff uh, with that. This is one type of customers which is the the, the OEM. The other type of customers are utilizing the data on the cloud side, either in real time or or offline. Okay, so in real time, we're talking about horizon prediction for for vehicles driving around, and we are uh, now in integrations and discussions with customers about that. We have a lot of pilots with municipalities around the world that we provide from those vehicles that we already installed there and driving there, like normal vehicles, uh, we provide information for road maintenance, either in real time, like winter maintenance. You know or when to follow the, the snow or spread uh, salt or something. And on the other hand, uh, on the other hand, if you are planning for uh, resurfacing some some roads and you need like standard uh, um, road conditions, uh, um, you know detection uh, in order to prioritize resurfacing of roads. It's a lot of money. Then you can use our uh, our reports for that, or or even uh, rapid maintenance. Let's say let's say that uh, uh, you have no indication for potholes on on the roads, but not pothole as the camera will see that, but the pothole as the chassis feels it. Okay, this is more important than to see it, because the maintenance of the road will normally be according to the severity of, of of the actions that will. Happen to the vehicles there. So if this is a severe port in terms of uh, you know having a flat tire or something like this, then I will maintain it first.
0: And and for that kind of um, the municipality scenario or that maintenance scenario, is that dependent on having a lot of vehicles, uh, sort of public data, or can you could like say for example a a local authority install their own vehicles and have a, a small a small number of vehicles gathering data. And it would give them useful, um, a useful metric. Like, how would it? Is it is it dependent on mass data collection, or or can you have a smaller fleet?
1: So it's both. It's both. So so some cities we already installed in commercial vehicle. Like today, we are installed in BMW production line, uh, and we are on the verge of signing new contracts with other OEMs now. So, so we would like uh, uh, to have those commercial vehicles, uh, you know, getting the public, normal public information uh, for for the road authorities. And uh, with the road authorities that we don't have too many public vehicles going there, then normally what we do is that we have an aftermarket device. It's like a simple telematic device that is connected to the CAN bus in the vehicle, but it runs the same exact software that is in production in the ECU. Normally, those vehicles are either uh, rental vehicles that uh, you know, like a car to go that uh, that you take on the main major cities, or or, or, or taxi cars or even uh, municipality-owned uh, cars, okay? Like the sheriff car, for example, I've installed the sheriff cars in the U.S. that they collect the data. In this case, you need very uh, few vehicles, maybe 10, maybe 20, 30 vehicles, even for larger cities, uh, uh, big cities like uh, Detroit, for example, uh, because the way or the nature of the tactile mobility software is that we have very high availability, okay? So, for example, when we drive, you will get every 10, uh, sorry, every 100 or 200 milliseconds, you will get a precise information about the surface. So you have tons of data even from a single car. So a single car with a single path, because we reduce the signal-to-noise ratio, can generate a lot of meaningful information. You do not need too many cars to pass through too many times.
0: And the the other kind of type of of user where I can imagine a benefit straight away is... um... Kind of trucking fleets, commercial vehicle fleets, um, which you, you just mentioned there in in passing, but that kind of some of the things that you're able to collect, or or at least indicate, like tire tread depth, tire pressure, tire condition. Uh, in some countries, that you know by law they have to be monitoring that kind of um, information, and and you know, a good logistics fleet wants to know that information because it's not very productive having a vehicle stranded with a blown out tire. Um, so, you know, are, are you working with with that kind of uh, customer as well in the, in the aftermarket? And, and, and could your data be used to, um, you know, really do that sort of prognostic analysis on a, on a commercial vehicle like a, a truck?
1: In Mobility, we started as an aftermarket company. This is how the company started so my vision was uh, to have uh, a telematic device well, nobody off the shelf that will design it but the software inside will be very sophisticated software to, to give meaningful information right one of the information for example tire information uh, the issue is that was that uh, we couldn't uh, find a good ROI for that return on investment why because Telematics was too uh, highly cost, and uh, and uh, not uh, everyone would like to pay for that for those features. And anyway, they will have other telematic device for I don't know for a, a, a theft prevention or whatever, like geo fencing. So, so so it was like yet another telematic. So this is how uh, it all evolved into OEMs. So to be in millions of cars and not in, in thousands or hundreds of cars of fleets. But anyway, this precise information that you get from the production line can be used for fleets. And this is what today we're working with OEMs. So as you know, some of the OEMs are, are producing vehicles for fleets, for large commercial fleets, like rental companies, like FedEx, like, I don't know, robotaxis or stuff like this. So it's, it's, it's a commercial fleet, but it is originated by the OEM, so in those cases, if you are already inside the ECU in the production line, so the major customer that will enjoy it will be this uh, heavy commercial fleets. Okay, but they will enjoy it not through an aftermarket device, but through uh, the, the production line, okay? which is much, much much cheaper than that than they have today with telematics. One more uh, remark, maybe interesting remark, like uh, a few years ago. Uh, a delegation from a major tire manufacturer landed in my office. They said, uh, You didn't answer my email, we want to speak with you. Okay, I said, Okay, so what's the issue? And then, then I learned that everybody today uh, from the tire industry are working on designing what they call smart tire sensor, okay, which is a small piece of software that you plug inside, inside the rubber, okay, that actually almost touching the, the, the surface. And transmitting wirelessly into the uh, the, the cabin uh, some informations and the conclusions that they collector, Okay, now now it's a very nice device. It can get into conclusions, for example, about tire wear. Okay, uh, uh, but but it's too a uh, it cost. Uh, uh, it's too expensive. Okay, so to, to pay like a few tens of euros of dollars per car in the production line, it won't uh, get into production. And if you want to go to fleets, it's, it's very complex to install it and to do that. So they asked me, can you do that virtually? So can we have a virtual sensor, like a software that is generated from the existing sensors we have in the chassis an indication about the tire status? And This is what active mobility is all about. This is what we do today. So today we assess the tread depth without any additional sophisticated sensor. And this is the value for that. And this is why we don't need to go to the aftermarket uh, to the aftermarket and sell them some devices or stuff like this.
0: And, and I mean, I can imagine on a, on a car or a van, that would be effective. Uh, maybe on a, a larger vehicle like a truck, uh, it might be harder to do. But on a on a car, like, can you can you be specific in terms of is that characterization quite general, sort of in general, or can you say like the front left? is doing better than the front-right. What's the kind of granularity of the data that you're able to uh, to map out?
1: So, so this has to do with, with the vehicle DNA, specifically with a chapter or a section of the vehicle DNA that has to do with the tires. In this case, it's per tire. So per tire, we identify its reset situation, let's call it, okay? Like uh, uh, the when we identify that there is a substantial change of the parameters, we know that this tire was replaced. Once it is replaced, we follow this tire, we analyze it. Some of the parameters might take a few uh, tens of kilometers to analyze, but they change very slow, so we don't, we don't care about it. And some of the parameters are very, very rapid, okay? Like in a few seconds, we get to the parameter. So there are maybe 10, 20 parameters about each tire, that we are generating and collecting, okay? Everything is edge-computed, it is stored in the vehicle non-volatile memory, in the EEPROM, and then it is transmitted from time to time to the cloud. So in this case, you can get indication either in in your infotainment, okay? Or on the cloud side for the fleet, okay? To to, to maintain those tires, for example. uh, You do have uh, today a TPMS in your vehicle, tire pressure monitor system. Which is, can be direct or indirect, like uh, specific hardware or by estimation, right? But you don't have a, a replaced tire indication. You have inflated your tire, but you don't have uh, replaced the tire. So we believe, we believe that once uh, a mobility prove it, and maybe other competitions will do that as well, they will prove that you will have a good enough indication of tire replacement rather than tire inflation, deflation. And uh, then it will be like a must have. So everybody will must have such a, a sensor on the vehicle, indirect sensor, because it's cheap, it's a software. Okay. So it's not a burden too much on, on the customer, the end customer, but the safety will be uh, uh, much dramatically improved.
0: And, and uh, you know, again, general public, that's one thing, but where where you've got things like delivery vans or municipal vehicles or, or whatever, that's, it's, it's it's you know, it's really... If it's a working vehicle, that's really important because it's, it's um, well, they get abused more.
1: Yeah, right. Even with, uh, even with electric vehicles, as we all know, electric vehicles uh, they tend to generate uh, faster torque changes on the, on the, on the wheels. Okay, like The motor is faster than the combustion engine. So in these cases, there is like a 30% normally of tire well uh, higher in electric vehicles rather than in uh, you know, normal combustion vehicles. So you need to know with your electric vehicle what's the tire, what's the status of your tires.
0: And then, so the other um, the other business case that you you mentioned in your literature and things is with insurance companies, and is this because it, it, it's it's um, so in the UK where I'm based, it's becoming more common for young people to have to have these kind of black box or sort of monitoring systems in vehicles, um, to to basically Big Brother is watching you. Uh, to make sure they don't do anything naughty. Are you providing that kind of service to an insurance company for sort of, uh, driver performance uh, tracking, or is it is it something? To, you know, yeah, okay.
1: <laughs> well, simple and short answer. No.
0: Okay. <laughs> yeah,
1: okay, I tell you why because I personally don't like it.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: I don't. I don't like to be the big brother uh, to watch somebody behavioral, and I, I can tell you that um, one of. Uh, um, one of the biggest uh, rental companies that we work with, they uh, they asked us if we can provide them information about unclaimed damage. Okay, so those young kids that will take the car to go, they, they smash it in, in a way that nobody will notice it from from the idea or whatever, or mishandle it, and then like only after uh, two or three days they will find out, and nobody can be claimed for for this uh, damage. Now we have the technology to do it. We can uh, uh, identify a severe change of the vehicle DNA by, by handling it. okay? So if there is a change in the vehicle DNA, we can identify. However, uh, uh, you know the management of this company decided that if they will have this uh, big brother uh, sophisticated technology, so these young customers will you know switch to another uh, competition uh, company. So this is why I don't like it, uh, uh, but or nevertheless, uh, there is an information that is crucial for uh, for um, those uh, companies or insurance companies that's not related with driver behavioural, but uh, either with 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 the vehicle DNA and surface DNA. And I can give you two examples. Okay, so if you have like um, statistical situation of roads in a country or in an area then uh, uh, those companies insurance companies can assess better uh, the uh, the prediction you know of of uh, of troubles or, or or damages to to vehicles on those areas so 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 you cannot no, no need to average you know the the expected uh, cost of all the vehicles on one each other this is one thing for using surface dna for uh, for better uh, predicting uh, losses for for insurance. The other one is uh, think about it if you if you want uh, uh, to investigate uh, an accident okay to know what led to this accident or what was the reason the cause or what what was what happened there and mainly on severe accidents you would like to have like a black box okay like a, you have an airplane okay like a black box to record everything but the what you record there is what was the, the situation of the chassis okay, at the, the same time, and of the each of the components, and what was the, uh, uh, the performance of the chassis at that time. Okay, So what, is it the cause of my tires, Okay, they were worn out so I couldn't uh, brake, or maybe I didn't try even to brake, maybe I steered a little bit, maybe something happened to, to my tire before, so all this information that will lead to a very clear investigation about the causes of a severe uh, accident. These are like two examples of what uh, vehicle DNA and surface DNA can help in rather than uh, framing your uh, young uh, daughter that uh, would travel.
0: It. Uh, it, it's it's been really interesting um and and I'm sort of conscious of the time it's flown by but um I've been enjoying kind of learning more about what you're doing today. I guess um to sort of bring things to a, a conclusion, the I mean, you you've mentioned a couple of times about sort of autonomous or robo taxis or whatever, and and the, the the question that's in on the tip of my tongue is about how this technology might be used in the future, and particularly in the context of uh, more autonomous vehicles. Um, but yeah, so so what do you see in the future? Where you know where do you see the company going? What do you? What sort of applications do you see coming through in the future? What, what what's got you excited?
1: Right. So so we we, we have analyzed. I think uh, this uh, the future. Like few years ago, we anticipated that uh, fully autonomous vehicles uh, will not be in the near future. Okay, and I think that today people already realized it, and the people today are are talking more more about the level three. Okay is like something in between, it's more like evolution rather than revolution. So, so we are focusing on, on the needs of level three. So friction estimation, preconditioning of the chassis, everything is very important for that. As for the, the future, today uh, like 90 or 99% of the companies working on sensors for vehicle are visual sensors. When I say visual, it can be radar, lidar, Camera, of course, infrared, ultrasonic. These are all pixels, different uh, uh, ranges, different wavelengths, or whatever. Okay, maybe the pixel uh, represent heat, maybe to represent a distance or color, but it's all pixels. It's all visual. This is ninety-nine percent of the perception that uh, people today generate in the vehicle, and even think about it for the for the future, fully autonomous, is visual. However. Imagine yourself uh, trying to drive your own vehicle remotely with visual only. Okay? It's like a remote control driving with the with the screens, and you have a joystick or a steering wheel or etc. And then let's say that you even have, have a zero delay with the vehicle. Okay, I claim that you cannot drive it not fast, very fast, not with uh, you no know, other cars around you, especially no not in winter situation or sleeping on the road, and especially, especially not if your kids are sitting on the back seat. Why? Because visual is not enough. You need to feel the car. You need to feel the vehicle, you need to feel the surface. Maybe it's only 1% of the information on top of the visual that you need, maybe 5% of the information, but this small piece of missing information will make it impossible drive fully autonomous vehicles with visual only this is why why we claim that every uh, autonomous vehicle will have those visual sensors as well as tactile sensors and what we do now is that we form this tactile sensor in the vehicle okay this is why we call our software tactile processor okay it's not a grip sensor it's not weight sensor it's a tactile processor like you have a video processor you will have a tactile process. So I'm sure we'll have tons of competition in the next few years. Hopefully, you know, we'll be ahead of everybody and there being millions of cars by then.
0: It's really interesting and, and I, I I can really see what you what you mean there. You know, driving a vehicle. A bit like if you've ever tried to fly a, a drone with visual only or or um, play with your kids' remote control.
1: <laughs> you know that by FAA rules. You cannot uh, drive a uh, Boeing, for example, or Airbus over the ocean if you don't have several ways of navigation. So it's, uh, 99% of the time it will be GPS. But if the GPS fails, you need to be to have to, the, the beacons or I don't know, I mean, other means of navigation. So nobody, nobody will let an autonomous vehicle drive with visual sensors only, even though like 99% of the time, they will rely on the visual stuff. Okay, but you will always need
0: the tactile one to, to assure it. Yeah, cool. Brilliant. Well, that's, um, that's a really good good point to, to bring it to a close. It's been been absolutely fascinating. Thank you, uh, thank you so much for taking the time out to, uh, to talk to me today, Baraz. It's been really interesting.
1: Thank you very much, Ryan.